opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. And the podcast now gathers for Saturday night, June 11th, 2021. This is episode 44 of the Anime Roundtable Canada, presented by Anime North. Good evening from Six Points, 10 minutes south of the Anime North compound in the west end of Toronto. Mike Nicholas, along with James Austin, Kevin Ng, Mohamed Shamarki, and Jeff Gregg, as the roundtable now commences. A reminder that we want to hear from you, and here's how you can contact us by email, animeroundtable at gmail.com, by Twitter and Instagram, at animeroundtable, and give us a follow, and you'll for sure hear from us. And animeroundtable.com for show notes and past episodes. And we also do have a presence on Facebook, Twitch, Discord, and YouTube, although your mileage will vary. So, this is our first episode since the Anime North Stay at Home Edition. Have you guys recovered? Yeah, it's been two weeks. <laughs> yeah. sometimes, If we sometimes... haven't recovered, then how? What would that? What would that even mean? It yeah. it felt like I got a post con cold, even though I didn't leave my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, You're I'm preparing for the next con, right? <laughs> it's just my it's just my body's annual rhythms every uh, post like May twenty eighth. Ha- typically, we have them. See, this is the interesting part about the pandemic. Like, yeah, I'd be my I'd be due for some sort of either allergy or cold. I, I and to this day, sometimes I don't know. I can't tell the difference at a at certain intervals, right? Then recall having such a thing in 2020. Huh. Right? And uh, who knows? Who knows what? Who knows uh, as things begin to open up? Left one don't get you. If the left one don't get you in COVID, the right one will. <laughs> well, speaking of recovery, I, I moved recently. So that. <laughs> been recovering from that move if anything yeah well congrats on that thank you always a big move so to speak yeah it's taking some time for me to like figure out where i can get not so expensive groceries but oh yeah well so it's it's been an adventure well then enjoy that adventure as it continues i gotta say though i gotta say very quickly those salmon skins at galleria at half off whoa those have been a lifesaver when it comes to my protein intakes. That oh, yes. <laughs> so you know, well, that gives you us an idea where you are. Some idea. Yeah. Not, not the there's a few gallerias. Yes, that's why. There's a few gallerias. So you can start <laughs> yeah. to pinpoint just California, a little bit. you guys. Come on. Good thing. Good <laughs> okay. I, what was your impression of Anime North? That was our first ever live episode of any sort. And I think... What, it was what an hour 12 minutes i think that's one of the shortest episodes we've done in a long time it's one of the shortest episodes in the, in the version 2 era what was your take on doing that episode it was fun enjoyed it yeah i had a good time i had a good time 
I think I mean, we just... uh, all enjoyed it, and I think Anime uh, North, all the people there enjoyed it. And I think even after they finished the ANN uh, at home edition, uh, they were happy with how it went for all the presenters and everything that went through that weekend. Yeah, we're going to talk more at length looking back on the Anime North Stay at Home edition in a future episode. We can we don't want to do too much of it. The one thing that we're that kind of rolls over from Anime North for this episode is we're going to try and do it in one take. And therefore we're not going to try to be uh typically long like most of the episodes tend to be, which means I've already just jinxed it. <laughs> but we're going to try and do this in one seg long segment tonight and hopefully it'll be digestible still for most of our dear listeners okay but i do admit i think i showed my age in that episode how so okay two like it's two key things one there was some jokes in the chat and terminology that i didn't get like cultured Oh, you didn't know that before. Okay. Well, I did not get that reference. I did not get that reference when I saw that in the chat. And yeah, we uh, if you were listening to the episode or saw us do the episode, we were trying to keep up with the Twitch chat as it was happening. Yeah. So that was, uh, that. Someone, someone was saying that I was cultured because I was saying, wait, isn't Bible Black the... Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the uh, sale title <laughs> for Media Blasters rather than Berserk and Maroni Kenshin because it very well could be. Yeah, and you can put up that because that one it's like that's such an old title by now. You know what I mean? So yes, it was but, such a big one back then, even though uh, it was in that genre. So I think it's kind of funny you can say that. It's anticlimactic. Yeah. Well, it, when you you know you have something when. There's threats of reverse importing because Bible Black kind of at the time got me familiar with the, that concept. Yeah, even John, even John Cerebella has stated that it's for him, it was like the Pokemon of hentai. It really was. I'm guessing yeah. probably on uh, CPM for theirs, it probably was La Blue Girl. Well, if you want to say that, all those slayers, I guess, could could have an argument too. Well, no, I was saying on uh, the H side. Yeah, in terms, yeah, of, well, in terms, of, in terms of, of content, yes, sure. In terms of, okay, I get it. That so I so I missed some of the uh, some of those jokes, the you lose joke in the in the Twitch stream. So so there was a few things that kind of went over my head. But then again, I'm trying to keep up with. Like, this is not an excuse. It's just what happened. I'm just trying to keep up with a bunch of things at the same time, right? Supposedly, uh, how people refer to themselves as an anime fan is different too, Mike. I've heard that we don't uh, call ourselves otaku, but we call ourselves weebs now. I'm not yeah. totally sure I'm comfortable with that term. We've, we've, I, taken back, <laughs> we've taken back the weeaboo term. And now more of a positive. It's kind of like the... Yeah, well, what would happen to Otaku a generation ago, I guess? The term, right? I can't wait for the next generation's word. I really hope that the 2022 AN badges don't say, like, weeb on them. Yeah, I can understand why, because... Well, once again, you, you, are, Kevin's thinking we're taking back the term, but I'm not 
I say it's time to uh, start a new term. How about we call them next decade Japanimation nerds? No, James. That, that no. sounds so 80s. That sounds no. so 80s. No. Speaking of slang, I don't know what the word pog means, and I don't want to look it up on Urban Dictionary right now because I'm scared of what it may mean. It's it's a, it's a very actually kind of sad story. I can link you to there's a YouTube video that kind of goes over it. Um, oh, but actually, do. yeah, it's it's kind of a a sad YouTube celebrity story from what I've heard. Yeah, no, and now they've changed uh, PogChamp because of uh, how it's evolved. And it has nothing to do with Pogs, the 90s cardboard circle <laughs> phrase. Yeah. Like, when I originally heard it, I was thinking Pogs, the 90s, <laughs> and then when you find out, I was like, okay, that kind of happened. Yeah, I've heard something unflattering, but I'd have to look it up myself. I fully admit that. So I miss those terms. And, okay, are we, we, we done on that part? Sorry. I just want to keep moving along. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I missed, and this is what I, this is like looking back on it. Many of you guys were in the chat and I didn't realize it. Yep. I was in the chat. We had other friends of the show in the chat, mm -hmm. like the pre, like members of the uh, past audience that went from the version one era. I noticed, or I, I'm pretty sure we're watching Neil didn't reveal himself, but he was in the chat at the time. Shout out to Neil, man. Yeah, and I, but I did figure out who he was later on. <laughs> Come back, yeah, Kevin. You hinted, to me that, you hinted to me that Jesse Betteridge was was watching as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, Jesse was on. So, I had no clue that friends of the podcast were there watching, which which might have been the entire audience that night. They, that's a lot of people. If that's the I think we, I think we had people. quite a few people. Yeah, we had over a hundred. We never dipped below that, so we had a good amount of people for that time of night. I thought actually, Squirrely talked to me after the episode, and she told me, "I get it." She told me that, like the fact that there wasn't much, there wasn't much going on in the chat. She felt that people were actually paying attention. So uh, thanks for uh, uh, helping my false sense of security there. Glass half full, man. That's pretty cool. Glass half full. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good attitude. Thank, uh, but thanks for the encouragement, regardless. As they say, we're trying to go for the uh, radio uh, style, right, Mike? So it's always <laughs> good to have uh, something on on the background and have some friendly uh, voices, right? Well... Anybody who's kept up with this show for the 15 plus years we've been on, on and off, hopefully we've become a familiar voice to a handful of people. And if we're adding to your enjoyment, to your fandom in whatever form, then, you know, it, it, it means a lot to us to know that we're uh, adding something to your, to your fandom here. And that we can add to add a really, really nice discussion to whatever we end up talking about. And, but really, thanks for listening. And thanks for listening all these years. Okay. As I said, we'll talk more anime north in the future. But I, I did want to kind of stick on a bit of a nice little theme for much of the evening. 
And when we were, we gathered last night to do our pre-show meeting for this episode and clearly a common thread in many of the topics that could possibly come up was music. And basically that we distilled most of it down to things connected with music or have a six degrees of separation version of it. And then some discotheque talk, which we'll get to in the bullets. So let's start with the on my mind story. I think I put that up a couple days ago, told the story of Kozo Murashita and his song Hatsukoi and how that endured through almost 40 years now but really how much it has endured in the 20 years since he died, which is kind of sad, to, a, a little bit of a sad story, right? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, his, as I, I, I entitled it The Odd Annie Song Legacy of Kozo Murashita. And really the renaissance of Hatsukoi in more recent times or in the last 20 years has happened really not too long after his death in 1999. Boys B was in 2000. Uh, Heaven's Lost Property was in 2007. Tsuki Akire was 2017. Okay, what was your what was your thoughts? What was your, and we're going to rehash a conversation we had last night. What was your thoughts on that? Each of you. Hearing you about have Boys it. B took me back to 2006. I felt. When, yeah, around the time of the commercial release here. When I was buying the manga for that, when Tokyo Pop was putting that out, okay, uh, and I was telling you last night how I never watched the anime, and I feel like I kind of like when you were telling me what the anime was about and how it was set up, I felt, man, that sounds more entertaining than the manga, to be honest. Yeah, they the the anime and the manga were quite different because, like, they held the same themes and the same feelings and all that stuff, but. The, the manga was just an anthology series. The anime followed six friends. Like, I, you can call it a teenage anime version of Friends for All That I Care. It may not be far off. It, it, but it followed, their, it followed their adventures. And But really, the story, each of the episodes were self-contained. But references to a previous episode could come, could come in, in, a, in another episode later on. And that's what made it quite different, even though it had the same general feeling and a lot of the same character designs. But I always made the argument that, remember, I said in the, in the, on my mind, that each cover of Hatsukoi was reflective of the J-pop trends of the time or the, where the music trends were at the time, right? So you had that kind of rock version, that soft rock version. And then, and then you had the slow beat versions in the uh, in two thousand seven and two and twenty and two thousand seventeen. But I I I I fathomed the whole notion that Kozo Murashita's original version of the song could have been very city pop like. But I I I don't know how I, I'm pretty sure I could have been off the mark on my on some of those thoughts. And Jeff, you kind of hinted yes and no. Yeah, like the, I think his vocals are very much um, in line with a lot of the male uh, vocalists for city pop music. 
but with um a lot of the city pop uh, music that's you know coming out of the mostly the 80s um it's usually this kind of you know synthetic like actual synths um providing a lot of the background music which um you know came across actually pretty clearly in the cantonese version that you posted <laughs> yeah that's the irony right it, it was yeah it was more borderline acoustic yeah, I think that's what you told me last night. Yeah, um, like the, it's it definitely, you know, there are, you know, similarities. Like, you know, I, I think city pop in general, a lot, I think some people would argue it's almost more of a, you know, aesthetic of, of the time and like almost the atmosphere around it. But there are, you know, some, you know, common musical traits that I think that, you know, his, his vocals definitely evoke, you know, a, a lot more than, you know, the kind of acoustic guitar that he's he's playing in, in those versions that you posted. Bottom line, do you feel, though, that City Pop fans would have appreciated him? Oh, I, I think for sure. Like, it depends on what people are, are into City Pop for. Like, I think if you're sort of looking at, um, looking at the music to kind of, you know, evoke the kind of, you know, false or, you know, projected um, retro futurist kind of thing, then you probably won't get as much out of it. But if you're, you know, into the music for the kind of dreamy type sort of audio aesthetics, I think that you get a lot of that with with his song and the general, you know, flow of the melodies. Okay. Well, and uh, it was funny because the, the his original version, and I kept saying... His original version and then the three covers, three or four different covers that, or five covers I think I presented there in the episode were all, like, there there could be some real differences in each of them, right? From one to the other. I think that your, your question in the episode was really... Um kind of intriguing and I, I looked up if there are are any other songs that have been used in different um, anime series and I haven't been able to find any with you know exceptions of things like I think um, uh, Lucky Star had like you know covers like intentional uh, covers as a series of ending themes or it was some if not Lucky Star it was a similar type of show um, but I looked around like I was positive that Natsumatsuri um, with how many versions of Taiko no Tatsujin it's been in has been used in in multiple series, and it's kind of a, a vague um, meme song about how overplayed it is. Um, but it's only been used in in one anime from what well, I've of course. Been and Fly Me to the Moon does not count, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. I, I mean, Dave Watson, who who I found out is actually runs the karaoke at Anime North. And he's revealed that he's made that known in publicly in the past. He just cited just one classical piece that's in public domain that you hear a lot, but you hear it a lot everywhere. Uh, Eric uh, Sati's Jim uh, Gymnopedi Number One, and I know I'm mispronouncing that, so I apologize. But you hear it; it'll sound very familiar. But it isn't just an anime you hear it; it's just a classic piece. So, and I. And once again, I think that's in public domain. There's there's a sound effect that's been used. It's kind of this like girl, vaguely sexy um, sound um, that I I know it's in fairy tale, but there's there's videos online about like it's you know 
reuse in different anime series. It's kind of become the uh, Wilhelm scream of uh, of anime. But, you know, I can't think of like a vocal track that's been used multiple times. And a lot of that's probably rights issues and all that kind of stuff. Which I think is is a fair point. But that, that makes the accomplishment of Murashita even more fascinating to me. Yeah. His estate had no... I guess uh, I guess they have to give the give the okay for these versions to be out there, especially in an anime. And they're there. And, and as I said, it's kind of sad that he's not around to be able to to watch that. I mean, Dolly Parton was ha, was is around to see what Whitney Houston did to to I'll always love you, and she always said she liked it. It was very different from her mm-hmm. version. But she always liked it. And, you know, I'm sure she's not complaining because she gets the royalties from it. It was just, as I said, a really odd story or fascinating story and fascinating footnote in terms of music in in anime. Right. And and maybe just to end it all off. Although I think I sort of hinted at it at the end and then we'll we'll start to move on. Murashita through his music, whether it's his original versions or his covers, now holds uh, holds the distinction of being in some of arguably the most loved romance animes of their times. Remember, he remember I, I said that, said in the monologue he had the last opening theme song to Maison et Cuckoo. Everybody, or enough of us, know Maison et Cuckoo and the type of impact it had. And then, and then four years ago, a, a, one, a cover of his most famous song made it into uh, Tsukikakire. And I know that was well-received and it has a cult following, and that's that's a pretty dramatic romance series. And, and actually, the common the common thread with Hatsukoi is what made me watch it, and I was able to watch, and I watched that over the last week or so. And it's on Crunchyroll, highly recommended if you're into that type of stuff. But I thought. He has his name tied to some of the some very noteworthy romance anime. I'm just saying. I, I always I this comes back to my theory that oh, there a good chunk of anime fans tend to be hopeless romantics as well. I guess that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I know we're keeping to a schedule here. But hopefully I told a good story. Hopefully it was a worth, uh, worth the seven minutes for people. <laughs> it was a nice listen on the way to the condo when I was lugging all my stuff over at 1230 in the morning. hey I think it was listening to the different video links, of course, you put in there too, Mike, because I remember it from Boys B, and then you think about that version and the other versions. It's like, oh, this is different from those other versions. Yeah, well, you realize how, how different the voice, yeah. The Boys B version is really different. And that was kind of my first introduction to it as well, just like I believe it was for you too, right, Mike? The song itself? 
Yeah. Yeah. Through Boyce B. And Just then, imagine what it would be like sung by a Vocaloid, right? <laughs> on that note, good segue, James. Good segue. I was going to well, try then, to, uh, you know. Yeah, I know he wants to move suit. along so we can we can meet it uh, so we can meet our uh, so we can meet our deadlines no, here I, this I, evening. I was going to say I was going to try to transition with Hatsu Koi to Hatsu Namiku. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Well done, well done. <laughs> oh. We wasted five minutes in the uh, Miku talk potentially. For obvious reasons, there hasn't been a Miku Expo in person, but they had a, held a virtual one. It was last week they held the Miku Fest concert. They showed it basically live three times overnight, Toronto time, Saturday into Sunday. Although if you're willing to dig around a little bit, you probably could still see the, a replay of the one-hour concert. And I did. Remember we talked in the Anime North episode, I made that joke about having to share an Apple concert because the technology is there. But I can't say I've been really familiar with the whole virtual idol and Vocaloid thing over the last decade or so. So I'm coming <laughs> into asking all of these questions like maybe David Letterman did seven years back when he had... Hatsune Miko perform on his show and his own and his only reaction after she disappeared at the end of the song, she he just simply said, It's just like Willie Nelson's bus. And I'm not quite at that lack of understanding, you know, and it's not to say that Letterman was totally ignorant. Because I, I have some familiarity, but I'm not I far from a regular fan. But I, I did watch the concert and quite enjoyed it for what it was. So I want to under, try and understand a little bit of the, of the Miku phenomenon, or I don't know, maybe it's a waning phenomenon at this point, almost a decade later. Well, maybe you guys can tell me. You know, you, you mentioned it's waning, but I think it was uh, either the winter or the early spring season of uh, Omomo's uh music that they play in in their uh in their stores so omomo is a uh a japanese uh dollar store essentially yeah that it's, we have it's a, our type yeah we have yeah, a chain of a, a facsimile of daiso yeah it's essentially daiso because yeah. most of the stuff is all daiso <laughs> uh, it's not Daiso. yeah it's uh it's daiso it's all yeah. daiso i think there's a few seria but uh it, it is mostly daiso products um, but they had a whole virtual idol series on their kind of music station so it was largely Vocaloid, but they did have um, a Macross as well, um, as well as a few other, um, you know, ideas of uh, fictional bands. So I think they might have um, thrown in K-On in there as well. First of all, I didn't even know they would have had a radio station of any sort. So they, send me the link later. Well, no, I, I just mean they play music in their store. Well, within the stores? Yeah. Okay, they, they, they have a clear rotation of music. Yeah, and it changes every, I'm guessing, quarter. I'm not completely sure, but I definitely heard the uh, Virtual Idol series um, throughout the throughout the winter and early spring uh, before okay. the lockdown here. So I think that the idea of Virtual Idols is continuing. Um, I don't know if uh, the um, VTuber will disrupt them <laughs> very much. Um, like, I'm no, I don't know how much crossover... Um, 
there is between that the people who would be interested in those kind of things. I know one is more gaming in general and one is music, but I'm I'm glad you enjoyed the the concert. Um, I went to, I forget what year, but I went to the first Miku Expo that I think toured Toronto, and I can't imagine it being anywhere close to as enjoyable watching a video of it. Like, I think there's such a cool novelty of seeing holograms perform with actual musicians. Yes. That one was, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that would, I'd, uh, I'd agree with you if I saw it in that form. Although when I saw the Letterman performance, all then I rewatched the video of that from all those years ago. At least I got a sense of how the technology worked because obviously it was through the glass. We got to see the glass, and and Miku only appeared in the, through that little window on the on the stage on the Letterman stage at the time, right? And we could clearly see a projector behind that glass. And I think the technology's changed since then. Yeah, I don't know how much. Well, at least it wouldn't be as obvious. Yeah, like, like when I when I saw it, it it really looked like there were you know like I couldn't tell there was any glass. Um, and there was a fairly believable sense of depth as well. Um, mm-hmm. Like I've, I've heard that there are kind of dead zones uh, in an average auditorium, but I luckily wasn't part of that. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the technology is very impressive. I hope they keep trying to improve it. Like I didn't see any major flaws, but I think that there's a lot of potential uh, in this for the future, like hopefully even make them smaller. You could have a little virtual idol projection in your living room, I think would be really fun. Yeah, fun or, well, it depends on who you ask, I guess. <laughs> It'd be borderline creepy at points too. Well, Kevin. Yes. We, you, you brought up a thought on VTubers cutting into such a market. So what's your take? I think it already has. You think it already has? Like YouTubers exploded in popularity in the past year and a half, from my observation. Okay. Like I, I mean, I was always wondering. Okay, what about the like the amount of commitment to watching a VTuber or any uh, any any streamer? I mean, I'm watching. I'm reading about watching streams and reading about streams. I could go hours upon hours. Obviously, there was that. That uh, gag one that just you know kept extending itself unnecessarily for charity a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember actually, was it Trash Taste, uh, the anime podcast? They had a VTuber on. It was kind of interesting. The VTuber obviously in their VTube persona, like they're sitting down, it kind of gave that weird vibe to me, similar to how we have the virtual idols and stuff like that. And as uh, Jeff said, it's been looking better but sometimes there are zones where it kind of you see through the looking glass i've seen that with uh, the squid sisters off the hook most of them are good but there are a few camera angles where you can see the crowd on the other side of them oh. like you're seeing through them and you're just like oh that kind of took me out a bit or i was like i'll just ignore that and I, yeah. I think that that works for like a little bit better for the the you know Vocaloid uh, people where they're you know there's kind of an inherent digital quality to them, but like if if I'm looking at you know the the Inklings or um, KK Slider, like I think you know those I'm expecting to be solid animal people that I shouldn't be able to see <laughs> through. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched that episode of Trash Taste as well, James. So they had Callie on. And 
I won't lie. I've been kind of tempted to follow her after that episode because I did find her pretty endearing. Like, because, you know, when you first watch or listen to that episode, like, she comes off as pretty on script. But, like, I've stated in a past episode, like, when they're performing, sometimes sometimes it slips. Like, that persona slips and part of their true self comes out. And that's what a lot of people find appealing about VTubers as well. What, for the, that they screw up? That they... That they trip. Not that they trip so much as that... Like, you 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 can sense that there is some of the person behind the VTuber being genuine. Or actually... It's that, the, sense, the, of, it's that sense of... Uh, it's that sense of... Uh, gen- there's like a genuine sense of like person behind the veil, so to speak. And okay, so you're so like showing their real as a result and personality. Yeah, it just sounds like that. Like they're not, they're not a made up personality, so to speak. Yeah, like there's like a base line of facts and lore and story behind the character, but then you'll hear some of these VTubers talk about their favorite games. And that's like, that's the actor's favorite things. It's a real person in that sense. Yeah. It's really interesting how the, the line gets blurred there from the sounds of it. I don't, I have not really delved into the VTuber world. I'm scared of delving into it. I feel like if I delve in, I'm just going to drop into this vortex of, <laughs> of wonder and and i feel like it'll be hard to claw my way back out it, it's like yeah. how my friend like really got into k-pop for a while and for a good two months he was really into twice and then all of a sudden he thought oh crap like i got in pretty deep i need to get out now <laughs> <laughs> when when oh. vocaloid was really kind of starting to boom um you know i was um mostly attracted to it because of the the figma designs like the the figures do you, do you think that there will be vtuber figures as in real uh yeah like cuz i i'm thinking of like i i think i probably encountered and and obviously purchased um you know vocaloid merchandise probably before like i heard like a full song uh from a vocaloid artist i just thought that the the you know character designs were quite appealing and like to what you were saying about like the the vtubers having personality both as actors and characters vocaloids don't have any inherent personalities like even their music is kind of by committee and by the the collective consciousness of you know doujin musicians and real like you know uh, I guess studio musicians, mostly in Japan. I yeah. want to get to that actually. I go go into that part of the story a bit later on. But going back to the whole merchandise thing, maybe there's an inevitability about it. But that's just a guess. As with everything, if there's if you if you can if it can be feasible enough to make something out of it. Like little coin. individual YouTubers have plushies of themselves that they sell. So I'm surprised that, you know, wow. there isn't a huge, you know, boom of, of VTuber, you know, dolls and toys. So, so sure there, maybe there is on a... the corporate side, someone's 
doing something, but it's definitely on the corporate side, not on the VTuber themselves, unfortunately, mm. since they're owned, right, by uh, the company. Okay, well, okay, there's another avenue about that whole thing. Like, th- th- these are, th- this could be, they're more corporate than they are organic. Is that is that one way to put it? Indeed, it's like the idol industry, unfortunately. Okay, so. there you go. That's a good pair. Except with the uh, handshake events. Which are I'm there, sure are there any? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Are there any independent VTubers? There's not many. Like I think there's the one big one everyone knows now. I forget the name. It starts with a C. I should remember the name of that company. Because like there'd be nothing stopping an individual from downloading the software and like quote unquote becoming a VTuber, right? Like aside from maybe not having an audience, like it would technically be possible. Okay, uh, as I said, I wish I knew. <laughs> I, I couldn't. I couldn't even fathom an answer or a guess, much less an answer. I'm trying to remember the name of that. Uh... That this one VTuber who was like one of the more lewd VTubers, and then she <laughs> ended up joining an agency. And I'm trying to remember the name. Okay, but but she, was pretty she is pretty popular. If you remember, we'll put it up, and I'll add it to the links. I keep making just just one quick aside before we continue. I put up all the links to the on my mind, but I've yet to put up. The links from the Anime North episode. <laughs> that oh. is sad. That is sad. Oh, one story I wanted to share about uh, when I went to the the Miku concert the first time it came around here, because I was preoccupied when that talk happened earlier. I went with my friend, uh, and we were sitting beside these two girls who were very excited to be there. And uh, this was a concert that I regretted not bringing earplugs to not because the music was too loud, but <laughs> because uh, the girls were too loud. And... <laughs> For a good while, uh, Len and so I was the, the twins, Kagamine Len and, Rin, I think it is. I think that's yes. what their names are. I don't remember. Who, who did have an, and I think they had individual acts in the uh, in the concert we from last week too. So like, they they actually didn't come out until towards the end, and I was not surprised because I know those two are very popular within Vocaloid fandom. And oh man, the screams from those girls when they finally came out! Oh my god! Like okay, to be I fair. Was, if if I recall correctly, that song was remote remote control. That's like that was the most hyped song of that entire concert. I had never heard that song before, and I like instantly downloaded every remix of it after I got home. Um, it was a spectacle. Like just production wise, <laughs> the actual like melody of the song. I would probably hate those girls too, even more at this point. There was one part of this, of one of those songs where the boy twin, he like sprouted wings and started flying in the air. And I swear to God, those girls were not screaming. They were screeching screeching into my ear not like literally <laughs> but they were just that loud that i actually had to cover my ears wow can't wait for the next concert dude 
<laughs> you remember, well, <laughs> somebody my bought a lot of merch too because he was a big boy. He bought a lot of merch too because okay. obviously you had that opportunity to buy stuff after the concert, yeah. and he, he's a big fan. Yeah, I was. See, this is going back a little bit. Uh, I knew about Hatsune Miku, but I and I sort of knew about the other personalities or the other characters within the Vocaloid universe. This was my first real look at them. And I, and I guess I'll have my answer as to which which one, aside from Miku, would be really the most popular. It it changes from what I'm I'm aware of. Like I think that you know, I think the twins were one were some of the very first that sort of became real boys and girls after after Miku existed because like you know this sort of technology has existed in some form for a while but at some point I don't know why it took so long uh Japan realized we're going to sell more copies of the software if we attribute uh character design to this um so I think that that's you know that snowballed after the success of Miku okay yeah. Okay. Quickly on the technology, and this is the anecdote I, I had. The only other noteworthy exposure I can really talk about would probably be very technical. NHK World, and as I said, I will mention my NHK World viewing where relevant. One of the first episodes of Science View, and we're talking almost a decade ago, one of the first episodes, they did a whole feature on the technology of the Vocaloid and how some of it wasn't as simple as it as it sounded. And the case in point they did was trying to get the vo uh, the Vocaloid software to emulate an Enka song. Mm. And I think you know where I'm about to go with this, Jeff, when I talk about this. But the way Enka singers changed their pitch. They were able to hit notes that technically aren't on the music scale, or the way they they changed their they their enunciations, the whatever whatever the terms are. But the way they level into their different notes is very unique for singers, and is and that was one of the tough things to replicate so if there's a sharp or a flat there isn't it would be a note that really on the audio scale does can't doesn't have a real definition so get so replicating it because it's so hard to pinpoint becomes really hard and they went into like a five ten minute explanation uh, probably five minutes because uh, only a half hour show but they went into an explanation about how the designers of the Vocaloid software were able to eventually do it. And, and that's the part I sort of forget. But I just remember that part of the, the story. How they, like, that when they wanted to design software that can emulate singing, it, isn't, it wasn't that simple. Because for starters, they're trying to do it in, in a Japanese form. and they, and so, and some forms of Japanese singing are very complicated. So that's what would happen here. Anyway, okay, 
Oh, two quick things. Um, yes, and then I want to get to I want to get to the whole Dojin music part of it because that's the last part that also grabbed me because I didn't really know about that. Okay, Kevin. Uh, so the VTuber I was thinking about was Project Melody. Melod, Mela, <laughs> Project Melody. Melody. Oh, Melody. And I thought I heard do not D. Part of uh, she signed with V Shoujo last year, I okay. believe. So that's the okay. age, that's the VTuber agency that she's a part of now. Mm-hmm. I feel okay. like she was independent at one point, but yeah, she she uses Twitch, she uses Chatterbait of all things to for her content and whatnot. So there's that. Cool. I forgot my second point, so you can go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the other thing I wasn't aware of in terms of Vocaloid or in terms of the Miku Expo was they had a contest, a song contest, and the winner would have their song performed as part of the concert. And then the honorable mentions would at least have a recording available online. And this has been a thing, at least for some time, concerning Hatsune Miku. And and I guess the trend altogether. They, we used to have these, like, I guess way back, rock idols, teen idols used to have song contests with their fans. And whoever, if a fan can write a good song, they you know, it would become, it would be performed by them. I mean, that, that was the center, center point of a Jetsons episode way back, I guess. So in some ways I see a parallel, but obviously there's a nuance that I'm not aware of. Well, there, I, I can think, something enlighten me on I this think one? part of that is just that the, you know, the place between what is doujin and what is, you know, I guess authentic is a little bit different in Japan. Um, like even if you look at the the game series Toho, which I'm not super familiar with, but, you know, that's started out essentially as a, as a doujin um, game, they would call it that, but it's, it's kind of, it has authenticity now. Like there's quote unquote official merchandise, official games. Um, and with Vocaloid, it's, I think, sort of the same sort of situation where there are you know actual bands and um groups at least supercell is the one that comes to mind that is attributed to miku and other vocaloid um artists um or virtual idols i guess but you know dojin circles um have made quote-unquote official um vocaloid songs as well um that kind of get i think elevated into canon um, again, not using okay, real so. terms, but yeah. Well, I mean, we have to kind of get the concepts, right? So yeah. <laughs> no, it's not canon, I guess, official, quote unquote. Although yeah. <laughs> I wonder how problematic the term is in the, in the, in the Hatsune Miku universe. I guess, I guess if you see if, if it's, uh, if it's performed live or like, I, I have trouble pinning down even albums on Spotify. So somebody, somebody and help me out on that You one. can just you know, what happens if someone downloads the software and then releases a song, like, you know, you're using the official software. Um, like, I'm not an expert, I'm just, you know, fascinated. So I don't know the the nuances to this. And, you know, the J- Japanese recording industry is kind of famously labyrinthian and sometimes. Yeah, so yeah, I guess that's, that's why it's so hard to pin an album sometimes, officially. Because, as I said, official becomes problematic in this case. But, as I said, it, it's just, it was just interesting to watch. And I, I just don't mind keeping up a little bit more. That, that's all. That's all. I, I mean, I've had friends who really liked like her and 
can't wait for her to visit Toronto again. But the but this uh, concert will have to do. And as I said, if you're willing to dig around, you you probably could find this concert. Even though it's not really supposed to be there. But if you dig around enough, you'll probably find uh, a concert. And it, it just made me a little bit more curious. Just to learn just a little more. And add to the other stuff that, uh, well, what little I already know. As I said, when the show returned three years ago, it, it's more like, it would probably be more like me being an anime version of Rip Van Winkle. What the hell did I miss <laughs> over the last near decade that I hadn't been keeping up? But lots changed, lots didn't. I'm just trying to kind of catch up a little bit, even though it probably never will, which is, which is fine. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll listen to more and read up more on the, uh, on the Miku universe in the future. And I get the feeling my friends who are fans will give me a better sense too. Well, we went over time. At least uh, over the planned time, according to our schedule. But we, we're, we're, but let's uh, do this this as best we could. You guys ready? Ready to continue? Let's do it. Okay. As we go into the bullets, these are small things which can become bigger things. And wanting to keep our little f music theme of the evening. Mm -hmm. I guess the first bullet, and it's an easy bullet for us to talk about because I said we'd talk about it, is Yoko Kano herself. And it dropped earlier this week uh, on Netflix's Geek Week. Is that what it was called? Yes, it Geek was. Week? Yes, it yes. was, I think. Yeah. Obviously, it was a, a chance for them to promo upcoming geek stuff they add uh, to Netflix. And people on day two of it, we're clamoring for as much stuff on Cowboy Bebop as possible. People are still waiting for any sort of proper images or or a trailer from it. We didn't get that. But we did get what I think many people considered a bit of a surprise, although not to me really. And it was when it was revealed to the main cast as they were sitting down to do interviews, because it, that's what it the little trailer looked like that Yoko Kano will return to compose some original pieces for the live action Cowboy Bebop. Awesome. It's it, obviously it's well, it was well received news, but for some strange reason, I wasn't surprised. There was a part of me thinking this had already been announced. Can somebody tell me why I was thinking that? I think it no, was... I'm not asking you to guess. It's just more like there was just little trends in the production that just hinted this it was going to happen. Sorry, James. I was thinking it was probably because uh, Sunrise and then Watanabe and that that they were working with uh, Netflix to make this happen. They were on, I guess, the committee or whatever you want to say. I think they might have even had uh, a producer, exclusive producer uh, status uh, on the projects. And of course, the people working on it for Netflix really loved the show. So 
all that passion together, you kind of had that feeling maybe Yoko Kano would come on board and maybe do something, but maybe not quite this big. So there's a lot of love going in. And we've seen other projects too, where it has the creator's blessing, but other people don't look at it as fondly. I think of the Ghost in the Shell movie, for instance, as one <laughs> and stuff like that, where all the people on the Jai side, this looks fine. And then everyone else is like, I don't know about this. <laughs> Anyone else? Plus, Anyone else plus, plus it's Netflix. I think it's just the assumption be, being that it's such a big studio that he had everything in order, right? Yeah, it's just Netflix could drop the ball once in a while whenever attempting these things. But you know, I, I was I was always going to be curious about it. And yes, they've given a better window as to when it'll come out fall of this year. So we're a couple of months away, I guess. And they did have the delay to let uh, the main John actor, Cho. yeah, John yeah. Cho, like heal up and stuff like that. So you could yeah. tell there was a lot of love going in that, that they would wait to make sure that they get it right and still have him on board. First of all, I'm going to give John Cho a little credit. I, I know Pete, the, his choice uh, uh, for the role has been widely panned. At least he's trying with the hair. I mean, that's the first thing that came to mind. I, I'd like to think he's gotten into the role. He went into the role. We'll find out, obviously, in a few months' time. I would be really curious to watch. And it has me wondering what type of music Yoko Kano will come out with this time. Aside from a remix of Tank. I, I could foresee, I could, I, I'd be curious to see a, like a new version of Tank in the process. But obviously we should be expecting more. I always preferred Real Folk Blues over Tank. Okay. Yeah, no, that was nice. That was a good tune too. So let's see what uh, comes out. I, I, I would expect at the very least, I, I know they kept saying more original music. I get it. But I could foresee some of the classic pieces from the series getting a, a refresh too. You know, Tank, Real Folk Blues, Rain. Rain's one of my favorites too. Okay, so on the topic, and now we start to play Six Degrees of Separation. On the topic of live-action adaptations of your beloved anime and manga titles, Netflix picked up Kenshin, the live-action Kenshin movies, which came out in Japan within the last couple weeks. And I think both, they both came out around the same time, and they finished one and two in Japan in the theaters. Netflix has put up a trailer for the end the fourth movie in the in the live action series presumably the beginning will be in there at some point as well so that answers are the one of the first yes and no's we ever ever played would the kenshin live action movies at least the upcoming ones now at the time find a official release in north america now we know it's it's about to happen. I think it's it's this week, isn't it? Seventeenth. That's only for the first movie, of course. Okay, so expect the second, but that's an, I, I find that an inevitability. And they're even called they're even marketing it as a Netflix movie. I guess in terms of its ex exclusivity. So I guess uh, maybe despite all of Watsuki's failings as a man. 
pension is too big to fail in that sense. Yeah, man, it's like the banks. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Right? I mean, Netflix sees something in this. I mean, it's, right? it's, it's like if um, shit came out about Robbie Donner Jr. I mean, that's not going to tank Iron Man and Marvel, right? Well, shit has happened to Robert Downey Jr. over the years. <laughs> well, yeah, but that was before the exactly, Marvel thing. Exactly. And yeah, and well, and he's owned his he's owned his past, I think, too. I think a, oh, a yeah. better a better comparison is probably Chris Pratt, where you know, because oh, yeah. yeah. like you know, I think that Chris Pratt Pratt is definitely incredibly popular. Um, but not necessarily, you know, the top billings. And I think that, you know, Kenshin probably, you know, no offense to Kenshin, but it's no Dragon Ball. Um, but it's still, you know, relatively popular. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's there's more of a risk that, you know, Kenshin would have would have tanked. Um, same with, you know, Chris Pratt. There was more of a risk, but I think both of them will be fine and by chris pratt i guess i more mean chris pratt's roles rather than the person himself okay you're probably right it, it sort of comes back to something else james remember our talk with matt alt yes okay and i'll and i'm gonna play this thought and then we'll move on one more one more time remember we talked about okay the effectiveness of the algorithm in netflix and how it probably may have informed them after doing seasons four and five of Midnight Diner. Ooh, picking up Midnight Diner three, uh, one, two, and three would be a good idea because the algorithm has swung in its favor. But really, Matt and our conversations with him, he just hinted it's really more simpler than that. We're making it too complicated. The, a lot of the decision makers will look at what's popular and just say it's worth picking up. We, it had always been generally known, not algorithm known, that Midnight Diner was well received, the ones they produced. So why not get the other seasons? Bleach is Bleach is still still has a good tie-in, and then so the Kenshin pickup is isn't like it never really would have been a surprise. I'm trying to but it also fits, it sort of fits uh, Netflix's MO these days too. It, it, it just to go after the anime manga properties, even though this is a live action version. Sorry, James. I was thinking about the previous live action uh, Kenshin movies that um, I believe Funimation released. And I think before they went uh, physical or even streaming, they did uh, put it on the theaters and stuff like that. And you wonder if a lot of them are less likely, but some of them want that theatrical experience. Obviously, you can't do that now still with uh, COVID, but maybe in the future, maybe there will be less likelihood to do that. And even on the Western side, some of them are more receptive now to the streaming side and stuff like that. Yeah, that's, I, I guess, to be honest, I think of that as another topic and we'll see itself play out as the reopenings occur. How much has movie theaters really been hurt? And I think they made most of the money they wanted at home in Japan and through the theaters. We saw that with the one, two, and I think it's kind of gravy on top for everything outside of Japan. And that's what they got from Netflix. Yeah. And I, 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 if that's the case, I have mixed feelings about that. Right. Because if that's, because then that means they're not in any hurry to give it the mass audience, which 
we know it could likely exists, but then, you know, they're holding it. They could be holding it back. Damn it. Right, Kevin. Mm-hmm. And that, that could hurt it in the future. And then remember, we've had this longer discussion. Japan's domestic market is shrinking. And shouldn't you give yourself a, ch- a better shot outside of Japan too? Although, we, as I said, we've had versions of this discussion. We're going to have it again, I know. What are you going to do to get that exposure? How much are you willing to sacrifice? Because sometimes there could be. As I said, that's a, that's a debate, and I know we'll revisit it again or give it a new angle we've later on. The, we've seen they're making those investments in live action, and obviously these ones like Kenshin and more known properties will get people interested, and that'll be interesting to see where they go with that for live action for maybe originals or anything like that, those non-traditional properties that aren't tied to uh, a media mix. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's a fair point. That all said, while looking up the, while searching Uroni Kenshin on Netflix, Netflix used to have the anime. It doesn't anymore, at least in Canada. Is, it, is there a streaming option on the, on the Kenshin series right now? Crunchyroll? Retro? The original? Uroni yes, Kenshin? the original. Yes. Uh, I don't know. Well, that was worth looking up. Although... As I said, that's the case in Canada. But you know what? One thing that Netflix Canada still does have? Silent Voice. That came off of the US Netflix last week. It's still in Canada. Or, wait, so wait. Just to let you know, Mike, Kenshin is on Crunchyroll sub and dubbed. Oh. Let's let's hope it's the found out too. Bang Zoom dub. Let's hope it's the Bang Zoom sub, not the. Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, that's the Bang Zoom dub. We're talking about original Kenshin. We're not talking about Samurai X. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Silent Voice. Yeah, and I just double checked. Silent Voice, the movie, is still on Netflix Canada. And for reference, I did watch that. That's a great movie. There's that thought, though. There's that. There's that thought. With uh, when it comes to Kenshin, and, uh, and I'll be watching. That's I think. 17th once again if and i could be wrong somebody correct me okay so now uh, now all the common threads end and it and we continue with discotech discotech held their how held their quarterly panel i guess it's quarterly well i think it was kind of what they would like to say and think of as a mini panel because they got it in an hour so way to go well Okay, uh, one thing that stuck out to you, and then I guess we'll uh, we'll start to wind it down. Just, Why don't we? Just, uh, we'll just say what maybe they announced and stuff like that. Just quickly, any of them. just quickly. Shaman so they yeah, they they started with a bang with Shaman King uh, <laughs> dub release on SD Blu-ray and sub release on uh, SD Blu-ray, and then uh, they said uh, part five of. Lupin uh, the third uh, is going to start coming from them the first part in uh, October and I know a lot of people were looking forward to that it was just part a matter of time so good yeah no it'll be great to see that uh, I've signed to say later on but uh, another case closed movie is coming uh, out from them uh, case closed uh, darkest nightmare that's the 20th movie then they got uh Briger, which is an old one they are uh, bringing Orgus, which they had already done for our DVD to uh, Blu-ray, 
And then finally, they talked about one they had released on DVD before, and that is uh, Fatal Fury. They're going to release on Blu-ray, and they had a lot of love for that. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of love. Although, some usually, usually when we see these type of things from Discotech, they 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 really dump something really interesting and knock it out of the park. I felt a little underwhelmed, and I think we've been spoiled by some of these discotheque panels. So, I, so there was a degree of underwhelm in my and as I watched it. This it depends on the fan. Oh, really? I think a few of the people that no, I, I, Street I think... Fighter Two when they did that on Blu-ray and they that was a kitchen sink one probably loved seeing uh, the Fatal Fury one and stuff like that, and that's yeah. going to be a kitchen sink one, and they're going back to dub like a few uh, parts that weren't dubbed before, but unfortunately they have to go to sound canes because a lot of the actors that were at ocean uh, aren't in anime or other things. Right. So. Yeah. I, I guess, I, I guess I, uh, yeah. And I guess the, the line for me was, I guess we were expecting, so I guess you had uh Urasawa fans expecting something from him. Really? Were, were people really expecting monster? People keep on asking about, but I I don't know what those people are expecting. To be honest, like no, Monster, clearly... I think it's a pipe dream. But if you're no. expecting something, I think Master Keaton is your best bet of ever seeing a anime from uh, Urasawa yeah. out there in North America again. There's clearly a Kevin Lee. sort of hang up as to why okay. Monster has not been licensed since. You think it would have been licensed by now because. There is an English dub that's been completed, to my knowledge, and it's been out in Australia for years. And that has the original music on it, too, unlike the Viz one, because they somehow got that original music, the only ones to have done that. So there's some hang-up. There has to be. Not for lack of popularity. And you can put it Mm -hmm. out in two to three sets. So there's, but there's a hang-up, I suppose. Well, from, from what you guys were saying uh, last night, um, it seems like they have a pretty hefty backlog, so it could just be a matter of that. That, um, Like, for example, with um, uh, the Four Kids masterpiece of the Shaman King dub, it has the um, Shaman mm-hmm. King reboot um, to sort of piggyback off of. So that they know that, you know, there's going to be, you know, some fan attention to the franchise and the series. Where if they had released, you know, if they, I don't know how long they've had the the rescue license for for Shaman King, but if they had it even two years ago, there wouldn't have been much point in in releasing it. And since the the Shaman King reboot is limited, like it'll end next year, if they held on to it for another two or three years, they also probably would not have, you know, returned their investment, if that is the correct money term. Yeah, they definitely will have a good wave because, yeah, the new Shaman King on Netflix will be outside Japan August. And then this, I know the dubbed one, that's what they're starting with first, is going to be Q4 and then we'll have the uncut uh, sub. But they've done that before with other series like Monster Rancher. They had uh, the dubbed uh, version and then the sub version on separate discs. Samurai Pizza Cats is another one. And some of it is just nostalgia from people's childhood, right? There's some mm-hmm. people that I'm sure uh, love that original Shaman King from Four Kids. Probably just like there's some that may love uh, the One Piece edit. <laughs> That's fair. That's you know, you know, Mike. Maybe it's because like 
two events ago, they licensed like eight to ten titles at once. So that wouldn't be a sh- yeah. So so there's these unreasonable expectations, and which, they were which I admit I bought into. Too, so which, which I admit I sort of bought into to to a degree, right? I, I let myself get uh, hype. Uh, I, I let myself get caught up in the in that hype wave. Yeah, it's like five really months. So it's, I should really it's, stop caring. I, I should like really what, four things. I think that was fine. Like that was a good <laughs> yeah. Enough. No, no. And when you think about it, let's just enjoy what it is. And yeah. I think they talked about well, no, uh, how they produce things as well, which they always yeah. do. And I think it was interesting. On oh the, no, yeah. I, I mean they went on and on about about a Lupin extra the... or a, a commentary track that'll come with the with Fatal Fury. Yeah, you know what's also that, interesting was that how, that sounds like it would be a real interesting track. I was thinking about Lupin the uh, third part five and them talking about subtitles and stuff like that and what they do to put in those subtitles and even look at the background uh, words and everything in there to have that fan experience and how they want to make it authentic. Yeah. It's quite mm-hmm. incredible. You look at like everything's in for- foreclosure, even Lupin's uh, melons and stuff like that. Oh, and boy. all the other things and it and you're looking at that and you don't think about when you're watching it in the moment right but there there's a lot of work and that's why i took a lot of time to get it over because in that one it's like lupin versus the internet right so they have yeah. all these text chats and everything and you see what they showed how they did it and it's an incredible amount of work and incredible amount of love to put in because not many people would do that it would drive but them nuts that- but isn't that what Disco Tech's about? Yeah, yeah, driving each other nuts. I know they no, said that no. some of the kitchen sink ones. They said, "Okay, who's gonna kill who now?" Yeah. So it, and also, uh, people were people in the chat were kind of complaining about well, not kind of some were complaining about how it was going to be in two parts rather than one. And then I thought, really, you guys are complaining about that? Like, I think it was expected in my mind you would do it in two parts. You're going to have dub and sub, and it's going to be, even though TMS is a very good partner with them, I think they still are a business. They have to get some money back, and at least we have everything in one. It's not like part four where TMS forced them and said, okay, you have to do a dub version and a sub version. And the reason for that is we, the music tracks were different because they had worked with an Italian company for the international version. So the music tracks were different and that really took oh. people off. So world <laughs> Prats. But yeah, as I said, it's just, you always appreciate the technical aspects of a discotheque release. They, they, they go into a long drawn out explanation, but you end up appreciating the work even more. That's just the way. That's just what I come away with watching those uh, mini panels. Okay. Well, before we're done this evening, let's take a look down the items on the Toronto Anime Community Calendar, or the Anime Roundtable Community Calendar. Although it is all Toronto-centric this time around, and they are things that we mentioned a couple weeks ago during the Anime North episode. The... The Toronto Japanese Film Festival has begun. It began last week on June 5th, and it runs continuously online until the 27th. Uh, pay one price and see 30 movies. You're willing to pay 100 bucks for it. 
I think uh, individual movies are ten bucks. And I again. think the if this is the JCCC's festival, yes, the website is through the JCCC. The the hundred dollar um, pass is sold out. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> you destroyed I don't know, the I dream. Know you destroyed the dream, John. <laughs> and that's because I think they do give you Shiseido products because Shiseido is usually their primary sponsor. Yep. Oh, so there was okay, okay, interesting. So there was it was it was in limited quantity. I did not know that. Because they, like they do this during the festival as well, where they have a certain amount of limited tickets, where you get like bundles of ten or twenty for, a, and obviously at a slightly discounted rate, and then you get some Shiseido products with it. So they guess they continued yeah. that trend. Yeah, the digital festival too. Yeah, way to kill the dream, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get my makeup somewhere else. <laughs> well, okay. So how much are individual tickets? Uh, I, think just it, off the top? I think you're right. I think it's $10, $10 plus tax roughly for, for, for the movies. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, there's other stuff that I admit I want to watch. So what I would have been interested in, and we've kind of gone down the list or some of the stuff that caught our attention already. I admit maybe I couldn't, and this is not me being bitter. It's just I'm not told, uh, nothing, like, maybe one or two movies would have caught my attention, so maybe it would have been 20 bucks well spent. Although I don't know if I'll get the chance. But I have until the 27th anyway. So it's worth checking out. We'll put a link in this episode, or we'll put a link to the JCCC webpage for the, for the festival for this episode, and then we'll do it, I'll put it up at around the same time for the Anime North episode too. <laughs> The Japan Foundation Toronto presents Parallel Worlds on June 24th. We mentioned this one too, the the uh, manga uh, the manga workshop or the manga panel. Uh, oh, well, there's a bunch of uh, manga stuff they're doing. Uh, June 24th, yes, they're doing a, a translating workshop with Jocelyn Allen. The week before, on June 17th, this is the one we we uh, hyped up last time. A panel discussion between Jocelyn Allen, David Evelyn, and Jenny McKeon, all of whom we mentioned are in the industry. Jocelyn Allen, we mentioned, uh, my lesbian lesbian experience with loneliness with Nakata Kabi. David Evelyn, Kaiju Number Eight, Jenny McKeon, Black Canvas, Bloom Into You. So we'll hype it up one more time. It is free. It, click to register. I believe it's online. If there is a video. Well, we'll put a link to the to the event itself, but if there's a link to the video, we'll put that up also in the future. And finally, and this is a this is maybe one more story we have. I don't know if we mentioned it in the in the Anime North episode for sure. I mentioned it in at the end of the On My Mind. Anime Roundtable does have a playlist on Spotify that I put together, and hopefully, the others will be able to suggest something for it in the future basically comprised of songs from shows we've been watching a lot of the animes a lot of anime yes a lot of japanese dramas yes a lot of and a handful of songs from songs from some chinese shows and even korean which leads to this story at the we have at the very end we mentioned in the anime north episode and there's the tie to the anime north episode that Amazon has purchased a Japanese version of The Masked Singer. And it'll air on their service, probably exclusively there, 
if you can if it's available outside of, of Japan, much less North America, probably worth a watch only for the gag. But if you if you keep up with the Mass Singer franchise, you'll know it's a, it's actually a Korean franchise. And I told the story to the others uh, a couple weeks ago about a former Toronto Blue Jay and a, uh, now now playing for the uh, Yomiuri Giants who appeared on it, Eric Thames. He, uh, he played for the Jays, he played for the Mariners, I believe, played for the Brewers, played for the Washington Nationals. Somewhere in the middle of all that, he spent uh, two or three years playing in the KBO, the Korean Baseball League there, and was its MVP one year and became a household name with uh, the, I forgot the full name of the team, but it was the, I think it was the NG Dinos, who, by the way, won the whole thing last year, but only got to the semis with him while he was playing with them. But he was their MVP, became a household name in Korea, became very well liked. And he was well missed when he came back to the US to play for the Brewers. But he made a surprise appearance on the Korean version of the Mass Singer, or the King of Mass Singer, as it's called. And what did he sing? Well, he sang, Isn't She Lovely? Left a good impression. But in his song, when he, as he was eliminated, he sang a song called Americano by 10 Centimeters, which was, I believe, the top pop song in 2011 in Korea. And uh, he really wowed the audience and wowed him even more when he revealed himself to be Eric Thames. Really surprised a lot of people. So I tell the others about the Spotify list. And what's the first song they look up? Well, you're not going to answer it? Nobody's going to fess up to it. Well, I, 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 look, I looked up that Americano, Americano song. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious that, that that was the first thing you looked it's, up. It's a, it was a fun song. It's a, it is a fun <laughs> song. Although, although from what I understand of the lyrics, it's about a guy having a coffee after he's one, fought with his girlfriend, two, possibly cheated on his girlfriend. Great song. I was just listening to the Korean version. I didn't, I didn't pay attention to the lyrics. We, <laughs> I, 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 I looked up the, I looked up the <laughs> lyrics. I looked up what the song was about. It's. <laughs> It's a hilarious song in that sense. That's what's that's what that's the impression I get. Although I mean, maybe I offended somebody already too. I think I kind of like the the baseball guy's version better than the uh, the original. original. Yeah, there's just some sort of. Oh, there's your. You know, he. There's your first. <laughs> say it. Say it. I was say just going to say he. Um, there's you know he wasn't a professional, so like there was some earnesty to it, and just the the very simple dancing he was doing with the weird mask like there was a whole experience watching that video that i didn't quite get with the uh, actual artist's version <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so there was a there was a playfulness a fun yeah uh, a sense of fun i, I guess uh, i guess full circle for the episode it's sort of like saying you like yuka imai's version of hatsukoi as opposed to just about everybody else's right right james something like that <laughs> something <laughs> well i'll tell you this much after hearing the original versions and you know sadly when i when i was uh, at work earlier today the original kozo morishita version of the song kept ringing in my <laughs> head 
it was like flashbacks to almost 20 years ago when I kept hearing that song. Uh, I'll have, I'll have a, it looks like I'll have to, I'll have a few days to recover from that. Just a quick aside. That's totally off topic. And, okay. Uh, they actually didn't give any, they didn't give out any Shiseido products for the all access pass. I don't know why I thought that. So my mistake on that. The dream is alive, Jeff. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's still sold out though. I'm pretty sure. It is still sold out, yeah. <laughs> That's what you go to. You go to the gray market and you pay the scalpers. I didn't, the, I didn't say what the dream was, dude. <laughs> the, the dream is dead. It's just a, not as cool a dream. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all we have for tonight one more time a reminder where you can contact us and boy i really hope you do anime roundtable at gmail.com at anime roundtable anime roundtable.com and don't forget if you could leave us a review wherever you get your podcast because that's how we do it until somebody gives us a gives us the right to do it on twitch or wants us really to do it on Twitch or some sort of visual to see our radio faces again. Once again, uh, please leave us a review wherever you get your audio podcasts because reviews might help us find new listeners and help us in the algorithm to help us find those new listeners. At which point Kevin says, I would like a five-star review, please and thank you. Yeah, five stars, five stars, five stars, <laughs> five stars, five stars. We typically do episodes once every other week, although we may do something on our off weeks too, which we will now say we will. Next week, we're going to do an all bullets episode because we know we've missed out on a lot of headlines that we do still want to reel back and talk a little bit about. So uh, check out that for episode 45 next week. That said, subscribe to us so you can be notified whenever something new drops in our feeds. Until then, thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. You know, I almost messed, I almost fucked up my script because uh, I used the script from <laughs> episode 42 and I said... Uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. At <laughs> I, had to, I had to stop Did myself. Did you say the right date at the BMV is just like it's yeah. the 12th and I'm thinking <laughs> what date did he say? I can't remember now. What you, did I say? You mean at the beginning? Yeah, yeah at the you beginning. Said, you said the 11th. I think you might have said the 11th too, but it's just like, oh, whatever. Fuck! <laughs> 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 in the chat, <laughs> <laughs> like 12th right now, like correct. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you should you should dub in like yes and i did oh if we had mentioned it before but at the very beginning but anyway you should dub in like a really obvious like overdub like for june 12th we are (laughs) i like that idea And the podcast now gathers for Saturday night, June 12th, 2021. This is episode 44 of the Anime Roundtable Canada, presented by Anime North. 
Good evening from Six Points, 10 minutes south of the Anime North compound in the west end of Toronto. Mike Nicholas along with...